Praise Jesus. Now give him a hand. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Amen. I, uh, I want you to know they worked very hard at that. And do you know that this right here, for instance, is made of styrofoam? And it's Pastor Ray's creation. He can make, you could not survive a storm in this. But they worked really hard on this, and I appreciate it. Can you let them know one more time? And uh, I really, really do. Amen. Well, we have been on a journey the last few weeks. We began looking at the Immaculate Conception, or what I call the Impossible Conception. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost. Then the next week, we looked at the Improbable Journey, when Joseph and Mary suddenly, because of a census being taken, had to leave Galilee and go to Bethlehem with her nine months pregnant, riding on the back of a donkey for a week. Not the way, ladies, you want to get ready to give birth. And today I want to talk to you about the arrival. But one particular thing about the arrival, and that is when they got there, there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for Joseph, Mary, but particularly for the birth of Jesus. And so let's read this right now. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She went into labor pains, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, and then read the rest with me, would you? Because there was no room for them, in the end, what an astonishing thing. God being born in the world, but there was no room in the Bethlehem Hotel. What a powerful statement. And so we're going to look at that today. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that nothing happened by mistake or randomly with Jesus Christ. But as there was no room for him in the end, there's also, Lord, no room in the in of many hearts throughout the world. And Lord, let the reality and the true meaning of Christmas touch us today. And let us be moved like we've never been moved before. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you can be seated. God bless you. Let me just talk about this for a minute. I find this story fascinating. Uh, the Bible is a fascinating book. And one of the things that really strikes me is here is God being born into the world. Very God is wrapping himself in skin and becoming one of us. The Bible says that he condescended. Somehow in the miracle working power of God, God arrived on earth, invaded planet earth via Bethlehem, became one of us, felt our pain, talked with us, walked with us, taught us about life, taught us how to live, taught us how to die. 
told us about heaven, told us about hell, told us about eternal realities we would never have known about had it not been for Jesus Christ. And yet people all around the event of his birth missed it. People missed Jesus. And I think one of the real astonishing realities of life, it is for me, is that all around Jesus is right in front of us, yet more miss him than not. The people we're going to be looking at, Jesus was right under their nose, right in front of their face, but they missed him. So not only is this the story of Jesus' birth there in Bethlehem, but it's a story of how different people for various reasons miss the most important defining moment in all the history of the world. Because there was no more bombastic, explosive, defining moment than God coming to earth via the womb of the Virgin Mary. It's a miracle. So let's look at four people or four groups who missed the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at why they missed the birth of Jesus Christ. The first one has got to be the innkeeper. The innkeeper who received a knock on his door one fateful night, and there outside the door stood an older man. Uh, Joseph was older than Mary, and uh, this young teenage girl, very pregnant. They had just traveled 80 miles. They were, were dirty. They were tired. She was having labor pains. It was the moment. It was the time they needed a room. Joseph looked this man in the eye and said, sir, we need a room because my wife's about to give birth. We don't know where else to go. You're the hotel in Bethlehem. We need a room. We're not from here. Anybody's heart would have been moved by that sight. And yet this innkeeper's was not. He looked at them, cold, tired, worn out, dusty. She's having labor pains. And, and I'll tell you, I've been around labor pains. You don't mess around when the labor pains come. All the Lamaze training goes right out the door when labor pains come. Yet this innkeeper had no room. He had no room for them both in his hotel and I got to say in his heart. Because if he had room for them in his heart, he would have made room for them in the hotel. He had no place for them. He had no time for them. And what really gets me is not only did he turn them away, but the Bible insinuates that he didn't seek for any other help. He didn't look for anybody else to step in and help Mary with this imminent birth. He did not. He turned to another woman. He didn't go to try to find a nursemaid. He just turned them away and said, I can't help you. You're going to have to find lodging somewhere else. He had no time to be bothered. Now, I think the reason this man missed Jesus is why a lot of people today miss Jesus. Bottom line, he was too busy. He was just flat too busy. Busyness was eating up his life. He was too preoccupied with making money, too preoccupied with paying bills, too preoccupied with his own concerns to be concerned about anybody else. And I am struck that if only he had known who it was that was standing in front of his door and who was about to be born into the world and they were knocking on his door and asking him for help, if he had really discerned, really known who it was, he would have given up his own room. He would have gotten somebody out of another room. He would have made room for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He would have done anything he needed to do, but he did not discern who was at the door, he missed a divine moment. And I believe a lot of people 
When Jesus knocks on the door of their heart, they really don't realize how important, how crucial he is. And that visitation is. And that opportunity is. Because opportunity doesn't knock very many times when it comes to you and me and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, we must open it. I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And so Jesus said, I knock. Just like they knocked on this hotel door, Jesus knocks on the door of our heart. And as this innkeeper turned him away because he was too busy, I really believe we turn him away because we're too busy. We just, life is happening. We're too busy with things. And I also believe that to calm his conscience a little bit, he probably said, well, you can go around in the backyard. You know, I don't have room in here, but around back where all the animals are tied up and there, there's a barn and there's a feeding trough and you can go back there. I'm not going to get anybody to help you. I'm too busy to really worry about this. But just to make myself feel better about myself, I'll tell you, you can go out back. You can go out back and, 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 and put the blanket down and, and hope for the best. God bless you. Have a good birth. And in the innkeeper, I see a whole lot of us. We have no time, no place for Jesus. We're too busy. Life is happening. I'm a happening person. Things are happening all around me. There's bills to pay, kids to raise, things to take care of. I'm a busy guy. I'm a busy woman. I don't have time for religious things. I don't have time for Jesus. Maybe when I'm old and rocking in that rocking chair on the front porch and life has happened, all my dreams have been realized, then I'll have time for God. But I've been around long enough, folks, to see that people that put him off young, a lot of the times put him off old. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the acceptable hour. When he comes knocking, it's very, very important that we pay close attention to that knock and, and respond in faith to that knock because it may be years before he knocks again, if ever. Jesus talked about the kind of busyness that can literally choke out your spiritual life where you're unfruitful. He talked about the cares of this world. That's what he called it. The cares of this world move in and choke the Word, strangle the Word of God in our life where, where we are not fruitful, where we do not live up to our purpose and our calling and our destiny because money and kids and all these things choking take up our attention. They, they, they cause us to worry and to fret and to give all of our energy and time to these concerns instead of focusing on Him. And the Word in us is choked. Cares of this world. I believe this innkeeper was a victim of the cares of the world. He missed Jesus. In another place, Jesus talked about people who were invited to a wedding feast, and it, which is a picture of salvation and living the Christian life. And how various people produce various excuses. I've married a wife, said one of them, I cannot come to the wedding feast. Another one said, I've just bought land. I'm a land man. I'm a business guy. I don't have time. I can't come. Another one said, I bought cattle and I'm going to have to inspect them. I cannot come. In other words, all of them were too busy, too busy with life to miss a golden opportunity. They missed the banquet. The innkeeper missed Jesus. And a lot of people miss Jesus. Got to get that degree. Got to earn this amount of money. Got to rise to this level in the corporation. 
got to take care of this and that. And like the innkeeper, some of us, in an attempt to ease our conscience, we don't want to say to people, well, you know, I just have kicked Jesus entirely out of my life. What we do is what this innkeeper did. We relegate him to the backyard. He's not first place. He's not given a place of prominence. And to not give Jesus a place of prominence is to dethrone a king. We can at least say, well, you know, I haven't done away with him completely. I go to church on Sunday. I punch the clock. I put in my hour. But then the rest of the week, I'm just so busy. I just don't have time for this. I don't have time for him. I don't have time for these things. I don't have time for the Bible. I don't have time for prayer. He's in the backyard. You know, Jesus, you never really know the full blessing of Jesus until he is first place, front and center, on the throne of your life, in the driver's seat. Then you really see the joy, the peace, the love, the power, the fruitfulness that he promised. Christianity without Jesus on the throne of your life is not Christianity at all. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So I think one of the messages of Christmas is Jesus needs to be enthroned on our heart and first place in our life where he deserves to be. And so the innkeeper missed him. He just missed him. And guess what? God was forced to go around back and be born. Wow. Now, the second person to miss Jesus was Herod. Herod was a monster. Herod was a cruel, ruthless, murderous, diabolical dictator. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying to Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. These were not astrologers. They were astronomers, and they had all of a sudden noticed a star they'd never seen. And it was not a meteorite. It didn't come and go. It hung there in the sky, and they became starstruck. What is that? They were way in the far east, and they decided, I will leave home. I will leave hearth. I will leave children. I will leave my position. I will leave my job to go and find out what that star is. They left everything to pursue the meaning of that star, and now Along the way, God has opened their eyes because the Bible says, seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Ask and it shall be given to you. For everyone who seeks finds. Him, to him who knocks it shall be opened. And they want to know the meaning of the star. And sometime from the time they left to the time they arrived in Jerusalem, God had opened their eyes and said, that's the star. That's a sign in the heavens that Messiah has been born. And they knew that much. When they got to Herod, we have seen his star in the east. It's the king of the Jews. This is the prophesied Messiah. And instead of getting excited and curious or intrigued, it says when Herod heard the king, or when Herod heard about this king, it says he was troubled. It vexed him. It troubled him. And you say, well, what was the trouble? The trouble was he was afraid of it. And he was jealous of it. Already, many people were excited about the birth of this baby. They were ready to worship him. These, these wise men had traveled all this distance just to find him. Herod felt a threat. Herod was threatened. Herod was a politician. Enough said. 
Politicians never change. He was concerned only with power and wealth and fame and with keeping his position. All he cared about was that position of authority and power where he could say to one, go and do this, and to another, go and do that. And his position felt threatened by the birth of this king that everybody was excited about. And in Matthew's account of the story, we see Herod pretending to want to find this new king that he might worship him. But that was a great big fat lie. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. And Herod the monster, Herod the beast, Herod the criminal, Herod the murderer, released an army that night. He made a decree. I want you to go into every household in Bethlehem, and I want you to find every male child two years old and under and slaughter them. And it proceeded. It began. And the prophecy was fulfilled that said, Rachel weeping for his, her children because they are not. And they took these children out of their mother's arms, dragged them outside, and slaughtered every one of them. And it was awful, and it was satanic. And, but the Bible says that an angel had appeared to Joseph and told Joseph, get the child, get the mother, and flee to Egypt until I tell you. And Jesus, the baby, was protected from this murderous onslaught, this satanic attempt to stop our salvation. Now, aside from being that diabolical and that wicked, there, our world is full of Herod-type people in this respect. This is the kind of person that greatly fears that somebody is going to take their throne away. Somebody's going to take their power away. Modern-day Herods are people who want to determine their own careers, be masters of their own fate, chart their own destiny... They won't allow anything to interfere with their ambitions, their power, or their dreams, or their aspirations, or particularly their positions. I am master of my own ship. I don't want anybody coming into my life. They're afraid of Jesus. When, Jesus, when they're approached with the gospel, instead of going, oh, well, I need that. Instead, they say, uh-uh, he threatens me. What is he going to do to me? What is he going to turn me into? And I'm, am I going to become one of them? Bible thumper? Is he going to turn me into a freak? Am I going to be in church every Sunday? And more than that, is he going to take away who I am, my independence? Is he, is he, going, to, is he going to turn me into kind of a wimp? Is he, going to, is he going to turn me into a freak? You know what I've seen walking with the Lord? Jesus doesn't turn people into freaks. Jesus freaks is, is a misnomer. It shouldn't be used. Jesus takes freaks and turns them into people. That's what I've always seen. How many of you were a little bit freaky before you got saved? Come on. But see, the Herod types, truth be known, they loathe the idea of Jesus Christ taking top place in their life. They loathe it. And I've also come to a conclusion, just, just so you can know today, I don't believe there's any such thing as a genuine atheist. I believe anybody that tells you they're an atheist really hate God. Because I've talked to a few. And before long, you find them cursing the God they say they don't believe in. Now, it's too obvious out there. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Look at the incredible complexity and diversity and splendid magnificence of the creation. Obviously, it has a designer. It's right under our nose. God did it. 
But see, the Herodites, they're afraid if I give Jesus entrance into my life, then I'm going to miss my life. I'm not going to be what I always wanted to be. But Jesus said, he that seeks to save his life will lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake will find it. It's when you lay down your life and let him come into your life that you really find life. Jesus is not a threat. Jesus is a blessing. It's not what he's going to do to you. It's what he's going to do for you. He will heal your life. He will fill you with life. He'll remove the things in your life that are destroying you right now. If you're not walking with the Lord, there are sins in your life that are destroying you as we sit here today. They are wiping you out, taking years off your life, joy out of your heart, sleep out of your nights. The way of the sinner is hard, but the way of the righteous is easy. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus would later say to the Herod kind of people, he would say, think about this. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, Herod? I could put Herod in there. Herod, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, has all the political power, and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Power, money, fame, none of those things can hold a candle to the value of your soul. Jesus would have said to Herod, Herod, you want this political power? You don't want me in your life? You're afraid I'm going to dethrone you and enthrone myself? But Herod, you don't understand. You're on a fast track to destruction. And Herod, you're about to lose your soul. And anybody who has a Herod kind of personality and they're afraid of God, let me tell you, Jesus loved you enough to die on a cross for you. He loved you enough to give his life blood for you. And Christmas is all about God invading planet Earth with his plan of redemption so that we would not be lost, so we would not lose our soul, so that our valuable, priceless soul can be saved. Now, a third group that missed the first Christmas are amaze me. They shouldn't have missed it. These people of all should not have missed Christmas, the religious leaders. We're told that when Herod was told by the wise men of the king of the Jews had been born, when the wise men told Herod, hey, the king of the Jews has been born, he didn't hear it in private. The Bible says that when he heard this, he gathered all the chief priests, all the scribes of the people together, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. These were the Bible teachers. These were the synagogue leaders. These were the teachers of the Torah, of the Pentateuch, of the teachings of Moses, of the Psalms, and of the prophets. These were the men who knew the, the Old Testament inside out. These were not people in the dark. These were the preachers, the teachers. He gathered them all together, and he said, these wise men, they're talking about this king. Where is he to be born? What does the Bible say? Herod wanted to know. Interesting, Herod knew the answer was in the Bible. And they said to him, they quoted Micah 5.2 that I talked about last time. They said, well, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. And Micah 5.2 says, you, Bethlehem, though you are little and insignificant among the clans of Judah, yet out of you, Bethlehem, shall he come forth, who is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings have been of old, even from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, a divine, eternal personality is going to invade planet Earth via Bethlehem. 
These religious leaders knew exactly where the Christ child was to be born. They had studied the Messianic prophecies, and there's hundreds of them. They had studied ever since Moses had told them in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, that a great prophet, greater than myself, said Moses, was to be born one day. And he would be born to destroy the works of the devil, to bruise the devil's head. They knew about all that, so they studied these things. At the time of Jesus' birth, the Jews were under terrible Roman oppression. They were under Roman tyranny. The entire nation longed for the arrival of this promised Messiah. They were looking for it. They were talking about it all the time. It was the talk of the town. When is the Messiah going to be born? We're looking for the Messiah. The issue was a red hot button issue. And now here's wise men. We saw a star. Here's this curiosity. We think he was born. We think that the prophecy has happened. So Herod says, well, where is he supposed to be born? Immediately, Bethlehem. And yet here are the theological experts, the guardians of spiritual truth. And they don't even bother. I can't get this. They don't even bother to walk a few miles to Bethlehem to find out if the Messiah had been born. Now, if I'm them, and I know that Bible, and I've read Micah 5.2 and Isaiah 53 and Jeremiah and all the prophets, and I know what they have said, and I've got people sitting here telling me, we saw this incredible star. It was unlike anything we have ever seen. It has never been there before. It appeared out of nowhere, and it has led us right here. And we believe it has heralded the arrival of Messiah. If I'm these teachers, I throw my sandals off and I run to Bethlehem. But they didn't. You know why? Because they missed Jesus out of indifference and pride. That's why they missed him. They didn't think they needed Jesus. In their minds, they kept the law. They were good people. They were good law-abiding people. They were good in their own minds. And they were profoundly proud. They were proud of themselves for being people, men of the law. The Pentateuch, Moses' teachings. And people like the religious leaders are all around us today and they miss Jesus. Do you know that preachers are going to stand in pulpits across America today who are lost? They don't know Jesus. Though he's been right under their nose. He was right under the innkeeper's nose, right under Herod's nose. And now he's right under the religious leader's nose. I mean, they they even know where he's supposed to be born, and yet they missed him. They missed him, and people miss him. People are going to fill churches today. Not all of them, but many people who are going to go to church today are lost. They don't know Jesus. They've been so close to him, they're anesthetized to him. They're inoculated. They got the flu shot. They've got enough religion to keep them lost. These are the people who say, well, I've never gotten a traffic ticket. I've lived a good life. I do good things for others every Christmas. When I hear the Salvation Army bell, I throw money in the bucket. These are the people that look in the mirror in the morning and sing, there is none like you. (laughs) I'm a good law-abiding citizen. I don't need him. I don't need a Savior. I'm a good person. I've had people look me right in the eye when I share Christ with them and say to me, right to my eye, I'm a good person. I don't see any need for the atonement. 
Direct quote. Through their arrogance, they don't see a need for a Savior. And our culture teaches them that. Our culture teaches them, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Whatever you want to do, that's okay. Because after all, you just need to be you. They don't care about the remedy for their sin because they don't believe they have the disease. Now, Scripture gives a reason for this attitude. And it's, you know, with preachers giving up on preaching the gospel and doing away with the word in many different parts of the country. Not me. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you that we all have a disease and it's called sin. And you can't be saved until you know that. So, well, I don't think that I have sin. Well, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. There is a supernatural blindness over their brain, over their thought processes. They're unable to see, Paul says, the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They can't see it. They don't know they're in a spiritual warfare. They don't know they have an enemy determined to drag them into hell, blinding their minds. You want to know what God thinks about you and me? He loves us enough to send His Son. But His diagnosis of the human race is right here. There is none among us that is righteous. No, not one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Do you hear all those personal pronouns? None. Not one. No one. No one. All. All. No one. Not a single one. You know what that means in the Greek? No one. Not any of us can say, I don't need a Savior. The message of Christmas is, I have sent my son through the womb of a virgin to be born that first Christmas morn as a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission to redeem us from our sins. This is why the prophet Isaiah said, But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away from God. We have left God's paths to follow our own path. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of not a few of us, not most of us, not some of us, but of us all. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, that's what he was born for. Jesus Christ was born in that barnyard. And he was placed in a feeding trough. He was born that way. He was sent around back as a picture of people who would evermore turn him away from the door of their heart. So many people will turn him away. It was a picture. God knew what he was doing. He was born to die. He was born to die. He was born to die. So when he hung his, uh, put his hands out and put his feet out and they nailed him to that cross, pure, unstained, untainted, Righteous blood flowed down that cross, and your sins and my sins were there. The old song asks a question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer is yes. Everyone here, everyone listening by radio, everybody watching by video, you were there, I was there, Jeff was there, Bob was there, Joe was there, Sue was there, Lisa was there, we were all there. And your sins and my sins were judged on that cross. He took my sin, he took the rap for it, he took the blame for it, 
He took the judgment for it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried that out when for a moment of time he was separated from the Father for the first time in all of eternity as he took our sin. And the only way for you to be forgiven, you're not going to get there through Buddha. You're not going to get there through Muhammad. You're not going to get there through Hinduism or any other religion. Only one man in all of history died for our sins, and that's Christ. And so Christmas is not about a little baby born in a manger had nowhere to lay his head. Boo-hoo-hoo. The Christmas story is that God became flesh so that he could die in our stead. That's it. Now there's one other group, and I'm going to handle them quickly. A fourth group that missed the first Christmas were all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. All of them. Again, here comes King Herod. He didn't hear of the birth of a king alone. He wasn't in private. The Bible records that King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard about this king that was born, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about it. Out of all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that heard of Jesus' birth, only a group, a handful of shepherds watching over their flocks by night who suddenly had an angelic visitation. And the angels told them of the birth of the king. As they were just watching over their flocks by night, as they did, suddenly it got bright, like it got bright around Saul of Tarsus when Jesus appeared to him. It got bright. And angels began to sing. And they talked about the baby being born in Bethlehem. There is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And these shepherds were considered the low rung in the ladder of Jerusalem society. They were the nobodies. They were not the who's who's. It was their job to take care of the sheep that would one day be used as sacrifices in the temple. Sacrifice lambs. They were raising sacrifice lambs. How fitting that the only citizens of Jerusalem to visit the manger scene were those that played a part in caring for sacrificial lambs because they left there to go meet the sacrificial lamb. And when they saw him, it says after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. They became New Testament evangelists. They told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. And all who heard, listen to that phrase, all who heard, which was everyone in Jerusalem, the shepherd's story were astonished. Yet not one of those that were astonished were moved enough to go see him and see if it's true. <laughs> Gosh. I hear that. Again, my sandals would be off. I'd be running down that dirt road to go see what they say they saw. Why didn't they go, Pastor Jeff? Because they were stuck in their Old Testament religion. They were religious. They were religious. They love being religious. You know religious people. You've been there. There are churches where it's just full of religious people. You could ice skate to your seat. Nobody says hello. If you're a little bit different looking, they let you know it. You get the religious look. The religious look is the nose up in the air where if it rains, they're going to drown. Their nose is so high up in the air. They're religious. 
religious people, their whole attitude is, thank God I'm not like him. I'm religious. You know, the Bible says in the last days that men are going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power thereof. That means they're going to be religious, but they're not going to want the Christ. They just want to look and act religious. Religion is man's best attempt to reach God. Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. This is the hardest person to reach the religious person, because boy, I mean, they just are convinced they're right. Because religion and ritual can make you believe you're righteous and that you don't need a savior. Religion is one of Satan's best traps. Nowhere else does he appear as an angel of light more brightly than in a religion that does not lead you to the savior. The story is told of a talented and gifted bloodhound in England who started a hunt by chasing a full-grown male deer. During the chase of the deer, a fox crossed his path. He looked, and he began to chase the fox and left the deer. As he's chasing the fox, a rabbit soon crossed his path, and he began to chase the rabbit and left the fox. And after chasing the rabbit for a while, a tiny field mouse crossed his line of vision, and he left the rabbit and began to chase the field mouse, and he chased the mouse into the corner of a farmer's barn where his once proud owner found him barking at a mouse. The bloodhound had begun by chasing a prized male deer for his master and wound up barking at a tiny mouse. And we laugh at that, but listen carefully. This is the way it is with people who are religious. They chase the mouse of religion and they miss the real prize who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And they spend every day, they get up every day barking at a mouse, chasing a mouse, pursuing a mouse, giving their life for a mouse, riches, fame, power, whatever, and they miss Jesus. Look at who missed Jesus. The innkeeper missed Jesus. Herod missed Jesus. The religious leaders missed Jesus. The people of Jerusalem all missed Jesus. That tells me he can be right under your nose and you can miss him. Have you missed Jesus? Pastor Jeff, I'm in church. Being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going and staying in a garage is going to make you a car. You must be born again. He must be born in your heart. That's the whole message of Christmas. Can we stand together? I know that people everywhere, all over America, are going to celebrate Christmas, and they don't know anything about why it really happened. I'm going to ask you to bow for a moment of prayer. And I'm not going to give an invitation down this way today because all of our rooms back there are full of choir people and whatnot, and we're going to pray right where we are. But I want to ask you a real important question. I love you in the Lord. Listen, I got saved in jail. When I was 16 years old, I heard the gospel and Christ came into my heart when I was sitting in jail, a troubled juvenile delinquent. And yet his light invaded me in that room and he came into my heart. So I'm telling you today, 
I grew up in America, and I missed Jesus until I heard it in jail. You're hearing it right now, and you may never hear it again. You may get so busy with life that you never hear this again. So with your heads bowed, if you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord. But tell you the truth, because of busyness or whatever has happened, whatever the reason, he's sort of in the backyard. And I need to reinstall him. I need to bow to him. I need to let him be the king again. Friend, make this Christmas the best Christmas of your life by letting the true king rule in your heart. And maybe you've never been born again. You've never been born again. He's never been born in your heart. You've never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. You've just been around religious things. Today, the miracle of Christmas can happen in you. So with our heads bowed, say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. And I will pray with you today. I'm not calling you down. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. But it's very important that we take a step of faith. And he's only one brief prayer away. So if you say, that's me, would you raise your hand and let him see it? Many of you raise them. I see them. God sees them. Many people all over this sanctuary. I need him. God bless you. I see you. Many of you. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. It wouldn't hurt all of us to pray it because thank God that Jesus was born. So if you can say right now, pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin. I repent of sin. I turn from it and I turn to you. Lord, be the ruler and the guide, the king of my life. From this moment forward, now say with me, thank you, Jesus, for hearing this simple prayer. Amen. Now look at me just for a moment. If you prayed that, when are we dismiss in just a little bit? We're going to have prayers down here, and I would like you to come down and tell one of them, I prayed that prayer because there's something we want to give you. We want to leave, want you to leave with a gift we have for you. So please do it, okay? Okay.